Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, personal bestie. Welcome back to a brand new episode. Today, we are joined by Carolyn Ross, and I love today's episode because we're going to be finding out where your bad habits come from because bad habits usually come from bad beliefs. And where do our bad beliefs come from? Well, they probably come from your family and your family's family. And they're intergenerational that just keep being passed down. And, you know, Carolyn Ross is a doctor and she specializes in intergenerational trauma. And, you know, we talk about it a lot today, not in order to put the blame on anyone else for, you know, your bad habits or bad beliefs. But we're talking about it so that way you can really get to the root cause of like, where is this coming from? Why do you feel this way? Why do you act this way? And then how to start making those changes. So we don't talk about, you know, past traumas today in order to place blame or bring up bad memories, but just as an explanation on, you know, how we get to the way we are and how to move forward and Dr. Carolyn Ross is the perfect person to talk with us about it today. So I think that you're going to get a lot out of today's conversation. And if you are a longtime listener, or even if this is the first episode you have ever listened to of Live Your Personal Best, be sure to follow us on Instagram right now. It's at liveyourpb, at liveyourpb. And send me just a quick DM on an episode you'd want to hear something about or more topics you want to explore, or different suggestions, because, you know, right now is a time of year where I'm looking to see what type of guests we want to bring on for the new year, what direction the podcast will go in 2023, and so I would love to hear that from you. So make sure to reach out if you have any suggestions on Instagram at LiveYourPB, or just leave a review here. I'll be sure to read it. And with that, let's get started. What's up and welcome to the Live Your Personal Best podcast. This is the place where I help current and former athletes like you to show up confidently in the gym and in life. I'm your host, Emily Kaufman, a former Division I athlete and author of Elite to Everyday Athlete. I'm going to show you how to stay motivated in reaching your goals and how to have more fun doing it. So let's sweat it out and start living your personal best. Hey guys, today we are joined by Dr. Carolyn Ross, MD, MPH, is an internationally known author, speaker, expert, and pioneer in intergenerational trauma's effects on one's body, brain, and beliefs. Dr. Ross teaches millions of people about eating disorder treatment and substance use disorder at Psychology Today. Dr. Ross, I'm so excited that you're joining us today. Thank you. It's great to be here, Emily. I appreciate it. So I know that you are the expert in all things intergenerational trauma. What exactly is that? Can you explain that to us? Sure. Well, intergenerational trauma, which I talked about in my TEDx, Pleasant Grove Talk, is the notion that traumatic experiences can't, or the effects of traumatic experiences can be passed from 
one generation to the next generation. Now, a lot of the studies on this started with uh, survivors of the Holocaust and their offspring back in the 1960s. And more recent studies, particularly ones in animals, have shown that the effects of trauma can be passed down from parents to grandparents, uh, parents to children, and then grandchildren. So uh, three, two generations that are able to experience those impacts from trauma. Yeah. So how did you get started studying this or wanting to be more informed on this? Is it something that you've always been studying? No, I don't think... I don't think anybody has always been studying it because it's really a relatively new concept. But I started getting interested really just in looking at my own family and my family tree and realizing that in every generation there was something bad that happened to at least one child, whether it be suicide or uh, mental illness or substance use disorders. And I started just kind of researching on my own, wondering why that could be, and then came to realize that some of the traumas that my grandparents, great-grandparents, and so on had experienced may have changed how maybe our family dynamics work, but also uh, probably had changed the expression of certain genes, like the gene for substance use disorders, for example. That's so interesting. So you're saying it's not even just like a psychology thing or mental health illness. It, it's actually changing part of the DNA. It doesn't change the DNA. It changes the expression of genes so that trauma might turn on a gene, for example, for depression or anxiety or, you know, substance use disorders that had there not been trauma, that gene would never have been turned on. And so once it's turned on, though, that can then be passed on to the next generation. So, you know, the, the biggest study that looks at this is the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. And they basically have shown that childhood traumas like abuse, neglect, uh, poverty even, can change the expression of genes and therefore increase the risk for depression, mental illness, suicide, substance use disorders, and even, uh, you know, eating issues too. Yeah. I know that's another thing that you talk about a lot is like how it relates to eating. And you had your book um, talking about food addiction with food craving. So how do you see like eating disorders, food and body image problems relate back to intergenerational trauma? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, Emily, because we can look at kind of the social learning theory, which talks about the effect of parenting styles on children. So many, many of the patients that I see in my program, the Anchor program, have had parents who, mothers or fathers, who were really, really obsessed about food or who themselves had food or body image issues. You know, they were always commenting, they may have restricted their children's eating and so on. So that's one way in which that can uh, impact. But just when you look at trauma itself, for example, I had a patient whose grandmother actually had a very serious mental illness, but it was a big family secret. And so the family never talked about it. And she didn't find out about it until she was uh, way into her adult years. However, the fact that they kept that secret, they 
their whole dynamic in the family was about you have to look good. Everything has to look good. And so that then got passed on to her. And she, you know, was always dieting, always working on her weight because of this family motto, which is that everything has to look perfect on the outside. But that trauma actually wasn't something she experienced. It was something that was two generations before her. Yeah, that's so interesting because you can think about it like, oh, you know, this is like just the messaging I grew up with. But it's like, well, where even did that messaging come from? Right. Like, where did this all originate? And it could be, as you said, like multiple generations back. Yes. And many times if you have a mother, for example, with an eating disorder, that she may have experienced trauma that she never talked about or her mother may have. So it's I think it's really fascinating to, you know, look at some of the uh, underlying causes of eating disorders in particular, and to be able to give people an understanding of why this, why they feel the way they do. And I think the biggest thing to know is that if you've experienced trauma, then you may have also developed a core belief, like I'm not good enough, or I'm not lovable unless I am thin or unless I am perfect or unless I am fill in the blank. And that core belief then can run your life forever. And you may not even know where it came from. You may not even remember thinking that as a child who experienced trauma. And then, you know, you find out that, wow, you know, my whole life I've been trying to be this perfect person. And that's really not humanly possible to be perfect. Or I've been trying to please other people instead of being able to be myself. And that's led me to, you know, my eating disorder. And I think the other thing that you said that really resonated with me too is like, you know, this idea of like a family secret almost, or like this thing happened that you don't even talk about with your family. Cause I know personally, there's lots of things I don't even know about my own family. And so I think we can all kind of say that it was like, you know, you might not even know the root cause or you might not even like know what's going on there. Yeah. And I think that's important for us to start looking for the, those root causes because they do cause a lot of misery. You know, if it's not an eating disorder, it could be drinking excessively or using other substances, or it could be just having really severe depression. So the advantage of finding out about your intergenerational trauma is it gives you an understanding that there's not something wrong with you. There may have been something that happened either to you or in your family, and that's what led to your having these problems. So I think it gives people uh, less shame around it, less feeling of it's their fault or they should have done something different. And I think that's really important too. Yeah, that's definitely a positive message to take from it, which I love. And I know that you kind of loop in this idea of like substance use disorder with eating disorder or like with binge eating disorder. Are they related at all? Are they differ? Like, how does that look? Well, the way that I look at substance use disorders and all of the eating disorders is that they have the common origin and that is trauma. So substance use disorders, usually people think, oh, at the same, they think about food problems. It's like, oh, you should just have more willpower or you should just, you know, push back from the table and exercise more. But they come from the same 
you know, etiology of having had this childhood trauma. And when you've had that childhood trauma, it really changes your brain and it changes your thought processes. It changes the architecture of your brain. And so that happens that when that happens, then that then is what leads to uh, either substance use disorders or eating disorders or other mental health issues that we've talked about. So there's, you know, there's a lot of commonality in, in food addiction. The Yale food addiction uh, scale has shown that 100% of people who self-identify as having food addiction have continued to engage in be eating behaviors that are uh, addictive with, with even if they have consequences. And that's the same for drinking or the use of, of you know, drugs of abuse that you know, if you have that problem, even if you are having negative consequences, you just keep doing it over and over. You can't help yourself. So there's a lot of overlap there, but I think the most important overlap is in the root cause. Yeah, no, they definitely do sound very similar now that you kind of break it down like that. And so if someone's listening to this and they're like, yes, this is me, like, you know, I've never been able to pinpoint it before, but this is something that I think I should start exploring what should kind of be their first steps here? Well, I do offer a free consult to anyone who wants to talk about their individual food and body image issues. And I can also tell people about my program, the Anchor program. It's a nine-month program, which sounds like a long time. But if you think about it, most people have had these problems since they were five or six or ten. So we spend a good deal of time getting to the root cause and then teaching them new ways and new skills to deal with their stress and their other uh, issues without turning to food as their default mechanism to cope. So both of those are options and uh, happy to give you the uh, connection to help them schedule that free consult. And I also am offering a free copy of my book, The Food Addiction Recovery Workbook, if anyone's interested in that. Awesome. Well, those sound like great resources. I'll definitely link that all below. And then one of your quotes that you said is, I believe that in 100 years, people look back on our current comments about food and body image problems and shake their heads just as we laugh at the medical history of leeches and bloodletting. Can you explain like what you see with that? Well, you know, I think the uh, blaming the victim is a big part of the problem. And the stigma on uh, weight, weight stigma is a huge reason why women in particular turn over their lives to dieting and that constant, you know, obsession with how I look. Am I small enough? Can I get smaller? And I think that's, you know, that has caused a, an enormous amount of harm. And again, I, I only work with women nowadays, but I, I see it in men as well, but I think most particularly in women, where sometimes 70, 80, 90% of their time and energy is spent worrying about what to eat, what not to eat, which diet I'm gonna go on, how I look, you know, et cetera. So I think, you know, the way that we are approaching it and the way that we criminalize being in a larger body is going to be looked at as the same as using leeches were, you know, back a couple hundred years ago as ridiculous. You know, uh, if you if you are living in a larger body there, you know, as we know, there are no 
that it is not a medical condition. We turned it into one with our focus on weight stigma in this culture, but uh, a lot of people think there's a connection between weight and health, and it's really not true. It's not what we've been led to believe is what I'll say. So I think that misinformation that's been you know, passed down and the focus on gaining money through the diet industry is what keeps women from achieving the things that they really, truly in their hearts want to achieve, which, you know, there's, that's a lot of wasted human capital from some brilliant women. Yeah, no, I'd love to see it get to that point because I know I'm on the younger side, but even me growing up, you know, I've seen the different trends on women's body of trying to be as small as possible, then thick and curvy, big boobs and big butts. And it's like, how many times can we cycle through trying to change our body until we realize like there is no solution there? There is no, well, because there is no problem. We are the size we are. And, you know, all of these extreme ways of trying to be different than what our bodies want to be. It's just wasted time and effort. And it's hard. It's hard on the body too. You know, by the time people get to my program, they're often, I did have a 19 year old in my last program and I was, we were all so excited because just seeing someone get to their root cause and heal that at such a young age. But many times the women, women who come to me are in their thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, even, and they've spent their whole lifetime worrying about this. And I just feel it's time to, for us to be free, to be ourselves, to be really authentically who we are and stop worrying about all of that uh, nonsense. Yeah. I love that greater mission because I'm sure with this whole weight stigma too, that's causing trauma. It does. And the research is very clear that weight stigma is makes a person's life worse. It makes them less likely to do the things that do make you healthy, like, you know, exercising, for example. So if you're always worried about being judged when you're out walking or riding your bike, or then you're not going to do it. And what we want is for people to be healthy, no matter what size they are. And that's the important message. Yeah, no, I, I love that a lot. And so I know you're a doctor and you're talking about trauma. Why do you think that like more people aren't talking about this, more doctors aren't talking about this and its effects on our health? Yeah, we're not we're not taught about trauma in medical school, just like we're not taught nutrition. So that should tell you a lot. <laughs> Everything I learned, I had to learn after I graduated from medical school. Um, so I think we need more education at all levels and for all people. So whether it be someone who's a psychologist or a psychology student or someone who's in medical school or going to be, become a nurse, all need to know about this. Teachers need to know about it because it affects people from you know, young children all the way up through adulthood. So the kids who show up in the classroom with trauma are the ones who are being sent to the principal's office every day because they don't, they don't know how to control their emotions, you know, and they may have ADHD, that gene may have been turned on for them. And so if we could start from a young age, really being trauma informed, that would be so huge, it would shift our entire population 
uh, if we if people could know and understand the effects of trauma and what they can do to help within their own sphere of influence. Yeah, I know that you had said that this is like a relatively new thing uh, is talking about trauma. So I definitely look forward to, you know, seeing it pop up more and be talked about more and like normalized as a thing. Um, But as we're like sitting here talking, I'm wondering, do you ever get pushback of people who are working through their own like intergenerational trauma being like, I don't want to do this work because of how it will affect like my relationship with my parents or my relationship with my family. Do you ever see that coming in and being an issue? Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think not dealing with trauma affects your relationships a lot more than dealing with it. And yes, you may, you know, particularly if you were abused or neglected by your parents, there may be some, you know, emotion that comes up there. But we also have the capacity for forgiveness if that's appropriate. Uh, but hiding that trauma just makes you, you know, often makes you uh, either a people pleaser or you can be just angry at your parents for quote unquote no apparent reason. So I always believe the truth is better than lies and secrets. And many people are, I think the bigger thing is that many people are afraid to address trauma because they think it's going to be too painful for them. And it can be painful. But I think the biggest uh, point is that as an adult, we have much more capacity to deal with what happened to us when we were children than we did as children. So it doesn't have to be overwhelming or you know, unnecessarily painful. And if you prepare and have skills to deal with it, it makes it a lot easier for you. Yeah, no, you you made it sound very simple there of like, yes, the truth is better. Because I'm just thinking in my head, you know, of like, my parents' generation was the ones that bought into all of the dieting and they bought into the Weight Watchers and thousand calories per day and all of that. And so, you know, when I see my eating reflections based on that, it's like, well, I don't want to like blame them, you know, and that's the hard part. You don't don't have to blame them. They did. They did what they thought was best. And that's what they were told to do. Remember, that's what the experts told them to do in order to quote unquote, be healthy. So everybody's been sold a bill of goods on this issue, not just one generation. It's been going on for my entire career in medicine, that's for sure. And that's many generations. So I think it's important to realize that, you know, our parents who are not doctors usually, um, you know, did the best they could and they followed what their, their doctors told them was the right thing to do. And if they had known better, they would have done better. So hopefully we have in our heart uh, the ability to have forgiveness for their lack of knowledge, which is basically what it was. They didn't set out to make you a bad person or make you have an eating disorder for sure. Um, and I, you know, I just had a conversation with parents. Um, I have a lot of conversations with parents all the time and recently had one with parents who were concerned about the daughter and they had that same story. You know, the mother was told, you have to do this, you have to cut out this. You know, if you want your child to be healthy, don't give them this and make sure they eat that. And that has led to, you know, a serious eating disorder. But 
Did she know different? Did she do that intentionally to hurt her child? Absolutely not. And that's been my experience with the majority of parents, that they come in with their own issues and they pass those issues on to their children. And maybe their own trauma is what led to them having their eating problems. And now that eating issue is being passed along to the next generation. Just back where we started to intergenerational trauma. It all circles back. Well, I love that. I feel like I have no follow-up questions to that. That was very helpful. Um, before we wrap up here, is there any one last piece of advice that you'd like to leave everyone with, something that we might not have mentioned earlier? Diets don't work. That's my big piece of advice. If we could, as a population, you know, I wish we could have a, a, a revel. You know how we had the feminist revolution? Well, you don't know. You're too young. But you've read about it, I'm sure. You've heard about it back in the day with Gloria Steinem and so on. I wish we could have a revolution on this issue where women would stand up and instead of throwing away their bras, they would throw away all their diet products and their, you know, Weight Watchers subscriptions and Jenny Craig products and all of that and say, no more diets. It'd be a beautiful world if that happened. (laughs) Well, if you lead it, I'll be there. Okay. I would be out of a job, but I'd be happy to be out of a job if that happened because diets are a big part of the problem. And we really need to get that through our heads that it's not, you haven't failed when you don't lose weight and keep it off on a diet. The diets are failing us and they will forever, no matter which diet you try. We've had, even in your lifetime, how many diet fads can you remember? At least 10. At least 10. So add that to multiple generations before. That's like, how would a diet coming out today be any different than the 300 million diets we've all tried before? So it's important. Yes. Well, that was great to leave us on. And I know that you had mentioned your book and stuff, which I'll link below. Uh, But where can people find you and connect with you? All of that. Yeah. Um, my program is at anchorprogram.com. And if you want other information about me, it's carolynrossmd.com. That's C-A-R-O-L-Y-N-R-O-S-S-M-D.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.